hits it in the air to center. We will see you tomorrow night. Here it is. Struck him out. And for the first time since 1954, the Giants are world champions. Here's the 0-1. This is going to be a tough play. Kendrick into the opposite corner. That one well hit. Springer looks up, and it's gone! Left side, Swanson to first. The Braves are world champions! All right, what's going on, everybody? And welcome to the first episode of the MLB Takeover Podcast, brought to you by the Takeover Podcast Network, alongside Matt Danielak. I am Chris Lavalle. We have an exciting... First show for you all. Matt, what can they expect this week? We are going to take you through the ins and outs of the MLB collective bargaining agreement, how we got here, what the players wanted, what the owners wanted, and what ultimately is going to change about baseball. We're also going to probably argue about the motives here for both the players, and I'm feeling personally pretty feisty at the moment so i expect that segment to be a trip and then also you guys don't know us so we're gonna try and take the opportunity to get to know you in our final segment first name basis we're gonna give you a little bit of background a little bit of baseball history on christopher and myself all right so with that we're just gonna kick it off we're gonna go right into why the lockout happened what the two sides wanted along with the disagreements and so matt i'll let you kick that off since that is your favorite topic it is my favorite topic it's our first lockout in about 30 years the players have not used their leverage and in, in, in not leveraged labor in negotiations in a long time they decided they were going to do it now and the effort was to pressure the owners into coming to the table with an agreement to expedite the process uh that backfired tremendously the owners did not speak to the players association for six weeks and didn't submit their first offer until that time the lockout in total lasted 99 days the main motives for the players were to change some of the imbalances in the league in regards to how much money gets distributed and where so major league baseball competitive balance tax players wanted to see it increased they wanted the season to be a little shorter they wanted universal dh they wanted to change the manipulation of service time by keeping players in the minors longer so that teams maintain control of their rookie deals longer as well as honestly the (laughs) avoiding tanking was a major sticking point as well for the players. They wanted to try and make it so that there were more incentives for teams to compete. Okay. So here's what I got. So I did I did my own little research, went to Bleacher Report, ESPN.com, a bunch of different articles. I put this together. So this is what I have. So the average player salaries have declined for four consecutive years, dropping by 6.4% from $4.45 million in 2017 to $4.17 on opening day in 2021. This is largely due to the enforcement of the competitive balance tax. For those of you who don't know, that is the luxury tax. Despite not having a hard salary cap, Major League Baseball tax is any team that surpasses a certain amount in player salaries, thus imposing a de facto salary cap. In 2021, that amount was $210 million. 
So according to union officials, Major League Baseball owners proposed increasing the luxury tax limit to $220 million in 2022 and maintaining that same limit for the 2023 and 2024 seasons, while Major League Baseball Players Association proposed to jump to a $238 million limit in 2022, increasing up to $250 million in 2024. So, I mean, look, I know where you stand. You believe that the owners are rich, greedy bastards, and they just didn't want to let go of their money. Is that is that a correct assumption? I think that in the context of professional sports, and I've said this before, no group of players gets less back from the bargaining agreement with the owners, and no group of players has less power over their careers <clears throat> than major league baseball that's the thing i'm not saying on the grand scale of the world that the the players you know are out here on the street with a tin cup and a cardboard sign it's certainly not what i'm suggesting but things don't exist in a vacuum and frankly some things don't exist in reality like professional athletes are not real reality like those things are well beyond what the average person is ever going to talk about, worry about, expect, earn, do. Major League Baseball, if compared to other sports, has a massive imbalance in the way that revenue is shared between the owners and the players. For example, the reason that the players opposed an expanded playoff and wanted a shortened regular season is because they do not receive any TV revenue for playoff games. That 100% of that goes to the owners. Players get gate money. Players get other money from the playoffs, no doubt. But it's nothing. nothing. It's a penny compared to the money that the owners get from the TV rights. So what incentive do the players have to want to have expanded playoffs? Oh, great. I played a 162-game season, so some bum in the AL East, like the Baltimore Orioles, can make it in a play-in game, and, you know, like the 12th seed, and now, you know, we're going to play all these extra games and have to wait longer for our series, for our offseason to be here so that we can make the owners more TV money? Like, no thanks. They also wanted the competitive balance tax raised because – there's a great disparity between the guys that make the money in this league are making bank. They are bags of money. It's Mike Trout. It's Bryce Harper. It's these guys that either, you know, the Angels desperately trying to keep the best player in baseball or, you know, a team like the Nationals trying to pry, you know, or like the Nationals, like the Phillies trying to pry Bryce Harper away from a team in the Nationals and offering him a huge bag of money. but. You got guys like Randy Rosarena comes out and basically has an MVP playoff run in his in his rookie year. Not even his rookie year. They counted the next year as his rookie year because he played so few games. So that's an extra year he's got to wait to get paid. He's not making money. The guy's making less than a million dollars. Like, it's not fair for all of the money to go to the big names and there not to be enough money. Now, I'm not saying that increasing the luxury tax threshold, the competitive balance tax threshold is necessarily going to solve this whole problem. But that was the goal of the players. Like, Hey, 
more money's coming in, right. the owners should be spending more money on rosters because that means, in theory, more money all around. Yeah, I mean that's a nice theory. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna bring it back real quick because you talked about the playoffs and how the players don't really have the incentive to to play harder. I guess um, no, the incentive. There's no incentive for the players to have an expanded playoffs, to have extra teams in there, therefore diluting the field because they're not getting any of that TV revenue. Right, but aren't you playing to win a championship though? Isn't that yes, the whole point? Why would you want more teams that don't deserve it to have an opportunity to win a championship? Because wouldn't that help? Aren't, aren't isn't it supposed to be like a camaraderie thing where like you're you're hoping that by you winning the championship you're going to get paid more money eventually anyway, right? Isn't that the whole point? You win, you prove that you're valuable, you then get to sign a massive contract. I guess in theory, I don't know what that has to do with more teams being in the playoff, though. Well, I mean, if well, as a player, if you're on a middling team that is always just at the cusp, and now all of a sudden, because you you get an expanded couple teams that get to make the playoffs, you're now going to be that team that could possibly make the playoffs, which then puts you in an opportunity to play in October. All right, but here's the counter to that. Sure, you are you are one of the major arguments for the players is increasing the competitive balance tax which they did we should just outright say the players got you know got the increase not exactly that they wanted but pretty close um with incremental increase throughout the contract so Mm -hmm. that's a positive more money should be spent on player contracts the problem now is this one of the other major major issues is tanking teams we've talked about this before you know, the Baltimore Orioles sell off Manny Machado to the highest bidder because they are never going to be good enough to compete. The Kansas City Royals trade Jorge Soler, who hit 50 home runs two years ago, to, you know, Atlanta because, you know what, there's no reason for us to pay this guy a 10-year, multi-million dollar deal because we're never going to be good enough to compete. Right. Now, by adding playoff teams, you are saying to the Oakland A's, hey, we know you guys don't ever spend any money, and you somehow find a way to win 80, 90 games sometimes anyway. Um, congratulations. You just earned yourself a playoff spot. You don't actually have to spend any more money. Well done. You're incentivizing these teams that are mediocre to stay mediocre. The only reason that these teams are mediocre is because they're not willing to go and pay for top-tier talent. Well, I mean, yes and no. I mean, you could get lucky. You could draft really, really well and put together an amazing team like the Rays have done. The Rays don't pay a whole hell of a lot either. And they've been in two World Series in, what, the past 10, 12 years? Which is awesome. But they're the only team that you can say that about. True. True. But I mean, I'm not also- saying you have to be the Dodgers. I'm just going to come right out episode one and say I hate the Dodgers. And it pains me that Mookie's on the Dodgers. And, you know, sitting here and I... My Red Sox sweatshirt. I'm. I came prepared today, but look, it, it's. I'm not saying everybody needs to try and build a super team. However, right. to be able to go out and spend to the threshold or spend over the threshold mm-hmm. is automatically going to guarantee you higher quality talent on your roster, even if you're building something good internally or being able to retain the high quality talent on your roster. The Atlanta Braves are not going back to another world series because Freddie Freeman and the rest of those guys are not going to be there because they're not going to pay them. 
Well, couldn't the argument also be made though that that you sometimes screw up when you overpay for certain players? That you, sure. You, okay. Okay. I'm just I'm just bringing that out. That's it. Look, there's danger in the Bryce Harper contract. We've seen this in baseball for decades. Like it's you know it was an A Rod problem as well. Like oh my God, how much money is this guy still owed? Or Giancarlo Stan, but please keep going. <laughs> Look, I still think there's hope for Stan, but that's a conversation for another podcast. I'm just saying, yes, there's risk in that, but by having the owners spend more money as a whole, in theory, it should increase competitive balance. But, but you're not necessarily incentivizing that because you're saying, also two more teams who aren't quite as good and don't spend as much money get into the playoffs just because with no benefit at all to the players and frankly, no benefit to baseball. I'm sorry, but I don't, I didn't, I didn't need to see, we had that tight AL East race this year. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't need to see (laughs) a fourth team in the AL East race. Okay. Like I didn't need to see like, Oh, I wonder if maybe, you know, Toronto, oh, maybe Toronto, like, like, I, I don't know, get a top two seed, be a top two, be a top tier team and you make the playoffs. I don't think I listen, you know, and everybody will find out because I'm sure I'll reference it on this show plenty of times. I'm a huge basketball junkie, right? If the NBA was like, we're going to add, and I'm not saying the play in because still the play in doesn't count as the playoffs. There's still eight playoff teams in each conference at the end of the day. If you make the play-in tournament, you didn't make the playoffs. You have to be one of those eight seeds. If the NBA was like, we're going to expand to 10, and all of a sudden you got teams that are like 38 and 50-something, 48-6, winning, going and playing in the playoffs every year, it's not good for the league. It's not good for the game. Why, how is that good for the sport? I don't know. They could get hot. What if they – what if, you know – you could make the same argument, though. If we, let's just do, go in the NFL real fast. Think about the Giants. The Giants that beat the, the undefeated Patriots in the Super Bowl. They were barely a 500 football team. They were the wild card. Yeah, they were 9-7, and seven, though. That's yeah. not Okay, but that's not exactly when you compare it to all the other teams that were in the playoffs. They barely made it. Listen, and when that, you have a legendary quarterback good? like Eli Manning. Is that good for, for the sport, though? Seriously, like I'm just yes, I'm that just was great for the sport. Bit. However, you still had the same number of playoff teams, a number that does allow for some teams that maybe shouldn't be there to get in, but also allows for some teams that have had some weird years to get in. We already have this in baseball. We already have a wild card round. This yeah. exists. We didn't need an expansion. I don't know. I guess you could just make. I mean, I'm always about the argument about what. I mean it's not hurting the competitive nature of, of the sport by adding more teams. If you're the best team in the sport, you're going to win no matter what. It doesn't matter how many teams you have to play. If you're the number one seed, if you've played all season long and you have just locked it up, say you're the Dodgers, the Dodgers run away with it again this year, right? They're just the best team in the, in the NL. Then you should, shouldn't matter to you how many other teams are getting there. I mean, I'm not talking money. I'm just talking complete competitive the competitiveness of the sport. If you're the best team, it shouldn't matter how many teams you have to face or the teams that the amount of teams that enter into the playoffs. You should beat every single team if you're the best. It shouldn't matter. You're right about that part of it. 
I'm just saying I don't the only value that it adds to baseball is the dollar value that it adds to the owner's pockets. Yes, absolutely. That's well, yeah, it, no, period. I mean that's that's yeah. I mean that's without question. It's it's Base, all money. Baseball's not better because we have an expanded playoffs. All right. So, let's <laughs> talk about <laughs> Yeah, let's get into the new CBA contract. Yeah, let's talk about what we actually got. What is right, so what a, what is changing about baseball? What do we, how do what do we get after post negotiation? All right, so here we go. I'm gonna I'm gonna do a rundown here, and then you can jump in after. All right, so here we go. The 26 of 38 union leaders voted in favor of a five-year CBA that saw its members make significant gains with regards to minimum salaries and the competitive balance tax threshold, among other areas. With the end of the second longest work stoppage in game history, the market officially opened, paving the way for trades and free agent signings. Players are required to report to their respective spring training facilities by today, Sunday, and the first exhibition games will take place four or five days later. So under the new CBA, minimum salaries will begin at $700,000 in 2022, an unprecedented 23% increase from the prior year and rise to $780,000 for the final year in 2026. The competitive balance threshold which taxes big spending teams that surpasses pre-established limits will be set at 230 million in 2022, a near 10% increase from last year, and reach 244 million by 2026. A 50 million player pool to reward pre-arbitration players who exceed will also be incorporated. So other changes include a 12-team postseason, which Matt's really excited about, with the top two division winners earning first-round buys. A 45-day window to impose rule changes decided by a new joint committee beginning in 2023. A universal designated hitter. A six-team draft lottery implemented with hopes of curtailing tanking. A provision that prevents teams from optioning eligible players more than five times within a season. Two measures aimed at limiting service time manipulation, a full year of service time awarded to players who finish within the top two in respective rookie of the year voting, and draft picks awarded to teams that promote players on opening day who finish among the top vote getters for major awards, and finally, additional advertising through patches on jerseys and decals on helmets, which I absolutely cannot stand. I, uh, it's not necessary there's already advertising everywhere in baseball. Um, the thing is, this is one of those everyone else is doing it situations. I know. I just hate it, man. I hate seeing advertisements on jerseys. It bumps me out. I don't, I don't care so much in the other sports, but baseball in particular, and maybe this is old-fashioned of me, but baseball in particular, there's something about there's something about, you know, like the Yankee pinstripes or the Sox uniform, you know, like there's, there's something about that where like it just shouldn't be blemished with right. marketing, right? you know, and marketing is like one of the greatest diseases of modern humanity. And here we are just adding more and more and more and more. I mean, it's going to reach a point where these uniforms are going to look like a 90s grunge kids backpack with all the patches all over it where you just can't even see all you can see is like Jansport and then there's like 400,000 patches all over it like yeah they're going to look like NASCAR jackets yeah it's uh yeah you know it's it just kind of detracts from the whole visual of the game the purity of the game kind of thing and I know I know that's a like I don't agree with a lot of like the old school baseball stuff you know like the unwritten you know rules of the game kind of thing mm-hmm. but in this particular case, I do I do wish that they wouldn't have done that. However, it's the smallest topic on the list of things that changed. I don't know. I'm I'm kind of a visual guy, but yeah, keep going. It's fine. I no mean, 
Universal DH. So this committee, I, you know what, the thing we can talk about the specifics, but so this committee that has 45 days to basically approve future rule changes for 2023, mm-hmm. that's a, that's a pretty big deal. It is a big deal. That's like, hey, we agreed on all this stuff, but who knows? We could just pull anything out of our hat at any time. You know, I mean, banning the shift, universal DH, larger bases. I'm not sure what the purpose of larger bases is exactly. to protect, especially like um, as far as first base goes, I think it's to protect the players from getting like their ankle stepped on or somebody – you know, getting too close to the to the first base. That was my guess, anyway. Yes, yeah, so you wrong. can't. So you can't inadvertently block a player's running path, but right. also still be on the bag. I I guess that makes sense. Universal DH absolutely should happen. I, nobody needs to see pitchers bat. No, I agree with that. I'm actually I'm not a purist. I, I know there are certain detractors who are like, well, now the, there's nothing that differentiates the American League from the National League, and I'm like, well, there really doesn't need to be. I mean, no. It, why, why are the rules different for one league than the other? That's just... Why do I have to have two different rosters, two different lineups? Right. Like, here's my lineup when I play NL games. Here's my lineup when I play AL games. Well, plus, I've, you kind of look at it, and it also opens the door for more players to make more money. Because now you do have designated hitters that can be valuable in the National yeah. League, which you didn't have beforehand. So. Well, and you look at a guy like Kyle Schwarber, who you know is a free agent you know, after his season with the Red Sox this year. Kyle Schwarber shouldn't play in the field, period. Like, he's not a good defenseman. He's a poor first baseman. He's not a good outfielder. Kyle Schwarber's a DH. Well, Kyle Schwarber could only realistically look at, like, 15 teams to go and play for. Now, Kyle Schwarber can go wherever he wants. Every team in the league can make a run at Schwarber because he is a designated hitter at this point Mm -hmm. in his career. Like, it opens up a lot more optionality for the players in terms of movement, you know, if you're one of those guys that's a hitter. And honestly... Not that it matters, but there is some wear and tear on a pitcher from going to the plate four times a game on his starts, like, or however many times he gets up. It does take away the strategy of being able to pinch hit your pitcher when you're ready to make a bullpen move anyway. Mm -hmm. You know, if the game script is going perfectly and you're like through the sixth inning and you're like, hey, you know what? Bottom of the seventh, we're going, we're going to the the pen anyway. Let's bring in one of our big hitters off the bench, pinch hit the pitcher. So that bit of strategy goes away. But frankly, I would much rather see the game be played at a standard across the league that have basically two different games being played. Right. Um, in terms of uh, limiting the option time in the minors for the players, that was like one of the biggest sticking points because that's the way the owners have been manipulating their power for years now is, you know, like I said, Rosarena went and had an, an MVP playoff run. Like he was absolutely incredible in that race, in that race world series run. And was still considered a rookie the next year. He then turned around and, <laughs> and was at the top of the rookie of the year voting after right. already having been basically the best player on a deep playoff team. That's nuts. That should never happen. You should be rewarded for being successful. You should not have to wait because they manipulated your service time. Like that's that's insane. Yeah. No, I mean I don't just I don't necessarily disagree with that at all. I don't I mean to to be honest with you, I actually like the agreement. I mean, overall, as as far as agreements go, both sides had to give up some stuff, and I think both sides can walk away relatively happy with with the end result. 
Uh, yeah, I agree. And I do wonder I do wonder how we went from nothing's close to what seems like a pretty reasonable agreement that gets more money in the owner's pockets, which of course they want, and a more even distribution of that money across the players. I just don't know I just don't know how we went from there to here so quickly, it feels like. I think and, and to be honest with you, I, I feel like there's a whole lot of winners. I didn't find too many losers in this deal. I mean, I was going through it. I was trying to, because I knew we wanted to do like a winner, winner, losers type deal. I think most, mostly everybody won. I think the... Yay! Everybody think, gets a trophy. Well, I mean, I think so. I mean, I think the losers would mostly be like the fans who were hoping for on-field changes. I mean, people who wanted like a pitch clock and, and all these other things to to really take a take hold or finding ways to shorten the game some way. Which um, they still might get next year. Or or the, or um, ha- not having 162 games. I know there's a lot of people who, who wish there was less regular season baseball games. Um, but and, and the other loser is Rod Manfred, just because he's the worst, absolutely the worst commissioner in sports. Um, and it, it just shown through throughout the negotiations. I've said before, obviously, he's just a bullet shield for the owners, um, mm-hmm. but he's really bad at it. Um, <laughs> it's really, he's really bad at it. And I do think I do think there are some losers here. I think I think the fans the fans are losing in some ways because we are further and further and further further industrializing the sport and turning it into this monetary complex. Yeah. I think the players are losing because they still don't have TV revenue sharing for the playoffs, which is basically like, I don't know if you know about baseball TV numbers, but the regional sports networks get all the in-season stuff and all of the money comes from the playoffs. Yes. The money is made from the start of the playoffs to the World Series in October, and that is a huge chunk of change. And the fact that the players are only getting in-park cuts is nuts. And it wasn't even—it doesn't even seem like it was really discussed. So I'm not sure where I'm not sure where to even go from there. But yeah, I don't even think that that was an option for them. I I have a feeling that was a sticking point with the owners, and they said we're not going to have negotiations about this. And you know, I think the union kind of just kind of moved on and looked at other aspects of ways to to try and and get their players what they wanted. So I would say I would say the players' union is a winner here. Uh, it's the first time they've exercised really any leverage with success, mm-hmm. um, basically in thirty years. So at least we've seen them laying the groundwork for maybe future negotiations and maybe making further changes. It seems like they're not scared to walk away from the table, which you have to be able to do in a negotiation. You have to be able to say, you know what? I'm good. I'm not, we're not, we're not interested in what you're selling right now. Right. All right. So let's move on. We're going to get to our, our second segment, uh, which is just to get to know us a little bit. Uh, and then we'll uh, we'll close out this episode here. So, Matt, do you want to go first, or do you want me to? to sure, I'll set the stage here. All right, you set the stage. Sir. This is first name basis. We want you, the listener, the viewer, because we are on video, having a grand old time. Hi, mom. <laughs> Hi, mom. 
Your mom is not listening not or watching this podcast, the show. Oh, man, that was great. We want you to know us a little bit. So, as I mentioned earlier, personally, I'm a basketball junkie, but but I have a roller coaster ride love affair with baseball. When I was a little kid, I loved baseball. I was a Red Sox fan. I played t-ball and all that stuff. My uh, my grandmother is actually a longtime softball coach, and that's kind of where I first started going to practices with her when I was little. And that's kind of where I found my love for it um, was being in the dugout with her and kind of you know you know seeing girls go out and play and all that stuff and. I wasn't very good at baseball, <laughs> unlike some other sports that I played where I was pretty good. And I lost a lot of love for it playing youth baseball. And part of that is because youth baseball is really boring and poorly structured. And part of that is just because I have spent 20 years of my life with undiagnosed ADHD and could not focus out on the, while there was nothing happening out of the field. But over the years, I fell back in love with the game, most notably starting with the Pedro Martinez, Nomar Garcia Parra, Noma, Nomar Garcia Parra, um, you know, like that era of the Red Sox. And then when we finally won the World Series and got over the hump in 2004. Um, but then even just the last few years, I've really renewed my love for the game a little bit more, you know, like my kids, you know, we go play with a ball outside now, you know, like out in the yard and things like that. And, and so I, I've kind of always had baseball in my life in some way, but I've had this like up and down love affair with it. Kind of like the players and the players and the, in the owners. Um, baseball has been my, that was my first, the first sport that I got into major sport. Um, I played baseball up through middle school. Uh, so I've always had a passion and love for baseball. As far as my fandom goes, I've been a Yankee fan since I can remember. My dad was a Yankee fan. The first baseball season that I ever watched was Derek Jeter's rookie season. Uh, and so, yeah, and then the Yankees went on to win a World Series. So it was very easy for me to jump on the bandwagon of, of loving baseball and, and particularly loving the Yankees. Uh, and being a Yankee fan was wonderful up until um, 2004. And ever since then, it's kind of sucked. Uh, the the last what almost twenty years have not been great. We've only won one World Series. Our GM's a jackass, and um, you know it's just it's just it's not it's not a whole hell of a lot of fun to be a Yankee fan right now. But no, I mean baseball has always been um, always been a passion of mine, and uh, I've, I've I've always loved debating and I've always loved talking about it. Fantasy baseball has been something I've gotten into over the past few years. Uh, it's not exactly my favorite fantasy sport, but it, it is a good time. It's, it, it can be fun when she, it really does. Actually, the, the one thing I'll say about fantasy baseball, probably more than any other sport is it really, you have to get into it. You have to be passionate about it in order to succeed. I mean, you know, with NFL, you can kind of, you know, you can set your roster once a week. It really doesn't matter. But with baseball, it's a day-to-day -day thing. If you are interested in getting into baseball, fantasy baseball is actually a really good stepping stone into it because you have to pay attention to the players day to day you get you learn about players that you you never see on espn or any mm -hmm. place because they don't talk about the, the middling players 
Yeah. Uh, so you you really get a good insight into all the players, how good they are, how good they're not. Uh, pitching, you learn about relievers, all this, the different types, the different aspects of baseball, you really do get into. So fantasy baseball, I would 100% recommend to anybody who's considering getting into baseball. Um, but it's yeah, funny I mean, that you say that. Yeah, go ahead. Two, two, two quick notes from that. One, yeah. actually, I have three things that I thought of during your monologue there go. that I need to say. <laughs> One is, yes, fantasy football guys are casuals. Sorry. I know you think you're hardcore, uh, but until you've played a fantasy basketball or fantasy baseball, like you can't, you can't talk to me. Um, And I love fantasy football too. So, but I don't, I don't pretend that it's that serious. Fantasy baseball is because actually for a couple of years, I, I just didn't pay any attention. I didn't pay any attention. I was just like, I can't. I'm checked out. I'm out. I'm done. And uh, fantasy baseball is what brought me back. Fantasy baseball was what? This is a few years ago, and I ended up putting together that league. And uh, we had one good season before COVID ruined it, but that was a lot of fun. And you're right. It's the perfect way to know what's going on, to know who to value and why and why, you know. The other note I wanted to make, I'm sorry, I just had the hiccups for a second there. Um, the other note I wanted to make is I'm disappointed, you, the Aaron Rodgers apologist, <laughs> that you have a bookshelf behind you. Yep. And I know you own a copy of Atlas Shrugged because I bought it for you a decade before Aaron Rodgers pretended that he knew what it was or more. And it's not on the shelf behind you. I'm a little disappointed. I just sorry, want to that, say. That, that's, that's in my room. Because I still read it from time to time. So, <laughs> what do you just read like two pages a year? Pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just to yeah, you know, just to refresh my memory. That book was one of the, the toughest books that I ever went through, but it was it was well worth it. Uh, getting completely off the uh, the baseball bandwagon there, but anyway, um, yeah. So I mean, that's that's a little bit about us. I mean, Matt and I, outside of baseball, we both are. Uh, Matt's a diehard basketball fan. I am a casual basketball fan. I'm much more of an NFL and, and college football guy uh, outside of baseball. Um, but that's that's getting to know us. Uh, so to close out the pod, Matt, do you have anything you want to add before we uh, we call it quits for the day? Yeah, listen, I'm not I'm not necessarily ready to walk away from this just yet. I think, I think we can give the people more. I think the people need a little bit more. What what position did you play when you played baseball? Uh, center field and pitcher. They never let me pitch, man. They never let me. That was what it was. I knew I could, and they never let me pitch. I didn't get to pitch as much as I wanted to. Um, the it, It's tough when you do youth baseball because if your dad's the coach, you get to play whatever you want. And if you're friends with the player whose dad is the coach, you get to play whatever position you want. Mm-hmm. I was none of those. So <laughs> um, they stuck me in the outfield, which was fine. Like I loved playing center field. Uh, it was great. It, I got to run around a lot. Um, but – I didn't get to pitch as much as I would have wanted to, uh, which it always drove me nuts because I was the only left-handed pitcher on my team. Yeah. yeah and they true. never used me. So it, it made very little sense. Uh, but, yeah, no, that was those are my two positions. I think, um, I, I think <laughs> there's something so strange about youth baseball, man. There's something – that'll have to be a conversation we have another time. But I, there's youth, – youth baseball – Listen, they're definitely weeding people out. There's no question. It comes back to the conversation we had. I can't remember now because we've actually recorded two podcasts this morning. Um, was it on the first podcast that we talked about the love of the game thing? I think it was. It was. Yeah, the love of the game. Yep. I, you. There's no way 
that you can get through T-ball, farm system, little league, all stars, travel, high school, college, single A, double A, triple A, and make it to the major leagues unless you friggin' love baseball. There's no amount of money. There's no amount of money that can make how boring so much of that is worth it unless you absolutely love baseball. I yeah, but I also think if you're really, really good at something, liking it, it, it just makes liking it that much easier though. I mean, if you're that talented at it, yeah. It just it's just a natural thing for you where you just wake up and you eat and sleep baseball or basketball or foot, whatever it may be, whatever the sport may be. If you're if you're great at it, I think that helps. That helps the passion. The only thing that I can think of that you can suck at but still love to play is golf. That's the only sport <laughs> that I can possibly think of where you can just be just absolutely abysmal, but yet you're you just you kind of just find yourself obsessed with it. And I think it's because of the challenge that golf brings outside of other sports. I think it's or, because of the four hours with no human contact and beer. <laughs> but it sounds like true. you have some personal experience with this. Oh, I suck at golf. It's terrible. It's 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 awful. But I love it. I love going out and playing. It's but I do. I think the camaraderie of playing golf and just hanging out with your buddies too that probably helps. That 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 does help out. It definitely helps. All right, guys. So that's going to do it. We're going to wrap up the podcast here. Um. So that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Baseball Takeover Podcast, brought to you by the Takeover Sports Network. Please make sure to give this video a like and subscribe to the Takeover Sports Network YouTube channel. And while you're there. Don't forget to check out the other great shows from the network, including the SEC Takeover, College Basketball Takeover, the Big 12 Takeover, the Draft Takeover, and the Big 10 Takeover Podcast. Also, be sure to give us a follow on Twitter. We're at MLB Takeover, and you can find Matt on Twitter at Matthew Danielek, and you can find myself at Chris underscore LaValle underscore on Twitter as well. And that's it. That's all we have for you. On behalf of Matt, I'm Chris, and we'll see you all again next week. We're taking over!